Hello, everyone. It's good to be together once again for this, which is our new scattered form of worship. My prayer for us today is that though we may be scattered, we would gather together under the ministry of the Word of God. To do so, we'll look to 1 John. Again, moving into verses 7 through 21 of chapter 4. Last week, we were uh, encouraged, uh, exhorted to uh, abide in the Spirit of truth. This week, we see a focus on the Spirit of love, but as John will make clear to us, the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of love are one and the same. Spirit of God. Let us now turn to the inerrant and infallible Word of God. I read to you now 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And if we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know And to believe the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, has not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we've read your word. Uh, We look now to understand it more clearly. But we ask for the presence of your spirit to to open these truths uh, up in our heart. To point us more clearly to Jesus. We might know him and love him and grow in his love. Would you do this? Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So John is opening up in this passage, and he's giving us 
a, uh, a family characteristic, so to speak, for the family of God. If you'll recall, he's been over the past couple of chapters telling us what it means to be a child of God. And so here he gives us the family characteristic for the family of God, and that is the characteristic of love. And different families have different traits, different uh, things that they seem to enjoy together, different things that seem to uh, identify them, to define them. Why is that? There's a debate that, uh, that rages, whether it be for the identity of a family or for the identity of a person. And, and the debate is, is which is more important? Is it, is it nature or is it nurture? What influences a person the most? Is it their gene pool, their genetic makeup, or is it their environment? You know, <clears throat> I've been watching much, well, I've been watching much TV lately, but my TV watching has changed because most of the time uh, my TV watching is centered around sports. But as you know, probably all too well, there's been no sports, or at least live sports, to enjoy. And so uh, my sports-focused TV watching has changed to sports stories. ESPN does a great job with this, with their 30 for 30 series, the SEC Storied. Recently, I re-watched uh, one of my favorites, The Book of Manning. I don't know if you've seen this. The Book of Manning tells the story of, of Archie Manning and his family. It begins with uh, Archie's family of origin and tells a little bit about his, his athletic career, but then it goes on uh, to focus on Archie's boys. What you see in this story, the book of Manning, is that within the Manning family, two things are paramount. Number one is family, and number two, is football. So he focuses on the family. And he tells the story of his three sons who share this love of football. Cooper, the oldest, was an all-state wide receiver, signed to go play college football, but for medical reasons was not able to continue that career. You most likely know the stories of Peyton and Eli. Peyton uh, went on to play for uh, the Colts and eventually the Broncos. Eli spent his whole career with the Giants. Both of them were the overall number one draft pick. Both of them won two Super Bowls. It's pretty incredible, really. But you begin to ask yourself, as you, as you hear this story of this family, is that just the luck of the draw? Or could there be more? is going on building this, uh, these family traits, these family characteristics. I believe what we see in the book of Manning is that it is both nature and nurture. It's obvious with nature that uh, these boys uh, grew up with a, with a pretty incredible set of football genes. Archie was one of the greatest college quarterbacks to ever play the game and could have been one of the greatest professional quarterbacks, but he didn't have much of a supporting cast around him. Um, but those, those genes were passed on to the boys, and you see it clearly through the story, but it wasn't merely those genes. It wasn't merely nature. They also had nurture. 
Archie uh, poured into them. He encouraged sports in a healthy way, but he also included them in his own career, taking them with him to practice. They grew up well prepared for the life of an athlete. You see in the book of Manning, uh, what, what builds this, uh, this fantastic story is a combination of nature and nurture. Why am I spending so much time on the book of Manning? It, it, we're not pointing each other to, uh, to Archie. But I believe that this combination of nature and nurture is what John is pointing us to as he deals with this family characteristic of love. John is giving us this picture of assurance. Assurance of our salvation in in describing what it looks like to be a child of God. And here, uh, he points us to one of those characteristics within the family of God, and that is the characteristic of love. And he calls us to take confidence in the fact that Jesus is building within us a heart of love that Jesus has built. And we receive that characteristic passively as Jesus does this within us, but John also goes on to tell us not only are we passively being built in love, but we are to actively take on this characteristic of love. He does all of this by telling us what we do in the family of God. In other words, in the family of God, we love, and so he begins, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's what we do in our family. I'll tell you, uh, Michael and I have laughed a little bit this week, uh, because we've looked at this passage. Um, it is a nonlinear passage. John is sort of all over the place, and I'm a very uh, linear guy, and that's made it difficult for me. But I want to try and pull out a, a couple of themes that are woven throughout this passage to try and uh, present it to you, uh, highlighting these two themes of nature and nurture, two themes that are found very clearly in the opening verse of the text. In verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God by nature. If you are in the family of God, the family of God is loving. If you've been born of God, be loving. But also, we're nurtured to love because we know God, because we abide in God. So be nurtured in love. Let's take a look at this call to love from the, through the lens of, of nature and nurture. And we'll start with nature. We, we love in the family of God because we have been born of God. Again, we we saw it in verse 7. Whoever loves has been born of God. Our love, uh, our loving uh, kindness, our love for one another is an indication of something. It's an indication that we have been born of God. It's indicative of the new birth. It's indicative uh, that we have been transformed and have received a new Uh, ability, a new orientation towards God and thus towards love. This description that John gives us here 
of being born of God speaks to the transformation that is wrought by the gospel and is indicated very clearly for us in verses 9 and 10. One of the themes that we hear, uh, actually specifically twice in this passage, is that God is love. Verse 9 and 10 go on to tell us that His love is supremely defined and displayed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, last week we, we spent time focusing on the Spirit of Truth. And the Spirit of Truth affirms the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But what we see here is that the Spirit of love points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ and tells us clearly how Jesus has secured us through His work and how He is changing us in His image, in love. And so here, His person and work is put before us as a sacrificial love offering. Verses 9 and 10 tell us this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The text is saying that Jesus came. That Jesus lived. That Jesus died. That Jesus rose again and that Jesus ascended on high. And through that, we have life. This says, so that. He did all of this so that we might live through Him. But that life through Him has a point of origin. That point of origin for the new life in Christ is the new birth. It's what verse 7 said of being born of God. To be born of God, to, to be born again is to receive the work of the Holy Spirit. work of regeneration where He removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel 36 would put it. It is a work by which the Holy Spirit graciously changes our entire nature so that as He removes the fleshly nature gives us the spirit nature. We are enabled to turn in repentance and faith. And as we do so, He applies the full work of Jesus to us. When we're converted, when we're born again, everything changes. We receive a new nature so that 2 Corinthians 5.17 would tell us If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we are new in Christ, if we have been born of God, we receive a new spiritual gene pool. It's the new nature. So in Christ, our our personalities, our gifts, (laughs) our desires... They're redeemed. Oh, there's continuity with the old self, but there's much discontinuity because our affections 
are changed, are reoriented towards Christ and His love. So if you have been born of God, beloved, you have a new family trait. Enabled by a new set of family genes. Here's the family trait, the family characteristic of love. But verse 7, also at the end of the verse, has an and. (laughs) See, it's not merely nature. We also are to love because we know God. Nurture. You know, the Manning boys, they, uh, they were born with a certain mental and physical makeup that, that, uh, that pointed them in the direction of athletics, in the direction of football. Uh, but they were also nurtured in the game. They were nurtured in that game for years. And while some may debate which is most important, nature or nurture, no one denies the importance of nurture. That is, that we're shaped by our environment. We're shaped by those uh, whom we are in closest contact with. Whether that be our family, whether that be our friends, whether that be Jesus. Within the nurture category of this discussion, uh, we grow in love We love because we know God. That's what verse 7 told us. Now, verse 8 and then again verse 16 will make it clear that God is love. Let that sink in. The text didn't merely tell us that God is loving. The text tells us that God is love. He defines love. Love finds its absolute in Him. So to know Him, to know God, is to know love and to be shaped by His love. Verse 13 speaks of this knowing God as abiding. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Now, briefly, I'll just tell you that There are those who would look at verse 13 as a change in subject, that we've moved on from the call to love to now a call to abide. But I don't believe that's what's going on here. I believe that when uh, John writes at the beginning of verse 13, by this we know he's referring to the love that he's been talking about in the verses that have come previously. Rather than starting a new subject, he's furthering the same point. That as we abide in God, through His abiding Spirit within us, we are better enabled to know God. We actually do know God experientially. We don't know about Him. We know Him intimately, and we are therefore shaped by Him so that we more fully take on His likeness. Remember, nurture is to be shaped by your environment by those whom you most closely associate with. The text is telling us that we are nurtured as we abide in God. Verse 13, there's an element of assurance in this, that our love evidences the fact that we are abiding. The Manning boys had certain athletic abilities which evidenced uh, the fact that they were part of this family. 
There's no doubt we can look to our growing sense of, of, of love and loving uh, as, uh, as an element of assurance that we are abiding. That is certainly the sense of verse 13, but it also goes the other direction. There is here a call to abide so that we can learn to love well. To abide in God is to know God. To know God is to know love and to grow in love for others. With all of this discussion about love, maybe it's time we take a moment to define our terms. What is love? And who are we called to love? Sounds simple. But maybe it's not as simple as we might make it out to be. There are those of us who who consider uh, loving uh, in terms of being nice to others. But who are we being nice to? Are we being nice merely to those who have shown affection for us? In other words, are are we gathering fans around us? Gathering a following? And if that is the way we view love, what is our motivation? sounds like it's a motivation of self. But the text points us to a different definition of love. It tells us, in fact, that God is love. So what do we see in this text about who God is that will help define love for us? Well, first, we see that love sacrifices. Uh, Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world. Jesus left glory to take on flesh. Jesus left glory to submit Himself to the law. Jesus left glory to take on the punishment of the law for you and I. Jesus sacrificed, and in His sacrifice, we see love supremely defined and displayed. The study Bible simply puts it this way. God is love. That God is love means that God continually gives of Himself to others and seeks their benefit. For to define love, we've got to define it in this way, that love sacrifices. But second, love initiates. Moving on to verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. God loved first. And in loving first, He pursued us. How much of our loving is initiating versus responding to those who who seem to show an affection for us? Love sacrifices, love initiates. Thirdly, love reconciles. It's one thing to pursue others. It's another thing entirely to pursue our enemies. And this is what Jesus did when He came. He came, as the text says, so that He might be a propitiation for our sins. So that on the cross, He might bear the wrath of God in full for a people who at that time were His enemies. God displays and defines love in this. 
that he seeks reconciliation with his enemies. To know God is to be nurtured, is to be shaped by this love. So as we confess Christ, we receive His work personally and are then impacted by Him, by His love. So is it nature or nurture? It's both. Friends, in the family of God, we receive this uh, new spiritual gene pool. Uh, We are shaped by our knowledge of God so that we grow in the family characteristic of love. But the passage does more than tell us uh, to love because that's what the family of God does. It also gives us a command. So in the symmetry of this passage, it closes in verse 21 with that command. And this commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brothers. How are you doing? It's a question I've had to ask myself a lot this week as I prepared to preach this text. How am I doing in knowing love, in defining love, and in loving? I'll ask you questions I've asked myself. Do you love anyone who doesn't love you? Are you sacrificing for anyone who cannot advance your agenda? Are you sacrificing for anyone who rejects you? These are hard questions. And I ask them out of a heart of love. Because there's more to love than first meets the eye. And I hope you, like me, as you deal with these questions, you realize that we all fall short of this call to love. But then the question is, why? What's behind our falling short? Is it a question of nature? In other words, have you been born of God? Have you come to recognize the reality of your sin? Have you come to see the beauty and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you turned to Him in faith? Have you been been transformed by the Gospel? Have you been born of God? Have you been born again? If not... If you look back on your life and honestly answer that question, no, I ask you this. Are you coming under the conviction of sin because of your lack of love? If so, good. If so, that means that the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts. And so, turn to Him and cling to Christ. Receive the blessing of new birth. But for others... This question of what's behind our lack of love is not an issue of nature. It's an issue of nurture. Is there something lacking in your experiential knowledge of God? Are you abiding in Him? 
Are you abiding in His love? Are you allowing the knowledge of Him, the knowledge and the reality of His love to shape your heart, to shape your loves, to shape the objects of your affection, to shape your concept of what it means to be loving? Ask yourself these questions as you check your own heart. But after checking your own heart, we then move to repentance. As you consider repentance, I encourage you to be specific. Be specific about what it is that we're called to repent of. Be specific about what you are repenting of. Understanding that repentance is not a one-time, catch-all action, but it is rather a a lifetime posture of worship before the Lord our God. Are you repenting or do you need to repent of your lack of love? Could it be your self-focus? Could it be your lack of abiding? Could it be your lack of belief in the magnitude of God's love for you? Check your heart. Repent. And then believe. Believe the love of God for you. Believe that as God has defined love in this text, through the person and work of Jesus, that He has in fact loved you in this way. Believe God. Believe in Christ's love for you. And that His love has the power to bring us from death to life. Check your heart, repent, and believe as an ongoing posture before the Lord. And then finally, love. Repentance and belief, they are a turning away from self and towards God, towards other. Love your brother. Obey the command sacrificially. Check your heart, repent, believe, love. It almost sounds simple, orderly, even linear, which is nice for a guy like me, but you and I both know that life is not linear, that love is not linear. It is, in fact, messy. Because life in this fallen world is messy. And even our best efforts at love can sadly be driven by fear. This command to love, defined as, uh, on God's terms, sets a very high bar. And we ask ourselves, As we come to this text, as we listen to this preaching, will I ever be enough? Will I ever meet this bar? Will I ever be able to satisfy God? It's almost as if John knew that question on our hearts. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's reading our minds. And he responds in verses 18 and 19, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. You see that John is telling us that there is freedom in the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And this freedom from fear that he speaks of in verse 18 is first and foremost a freedom from the fear of judgment. We need not fear the judgment of God if we are in Christ because in Christ's coming, Christ took that punishment. He took that judgment. And it is, there is none left for those who are in Christ. In Christ, we are free from the fear of judgment. We are free from the fear of not measuring up. We are secure because Jesus has been judged in our place. There's no place for fear and love because perfect love casts it out. And because we are free from judgment, and because we are free of fear vertically, we are then also free from the fear of horizontal rejection. Do you see? The love of God impacts our love of others. Our place in the family of God is secure. Not because of the quality of our love for one another. Our place in the family of God is secure because of the effectiveness of Christ's love for us. What John is telling us, what he is encouraging us with is this. That Jesus' love frees us to be fearless lovers. I want to acknowledge another fear of mine uh, as I close this sermon out for us. It's the fear of taking an illustration a little too far. (laughs) But I'm going to go back to the book of Manning, not because we want to lift up Archie and his boys, but because I believe it points us to an even greater truth. I told you that two things were paramount for the Mannings. Football was second. Family was actually first. It's repeated throughout that, uh, that show that Archie loved his boys unconditionally. Never once looking to sports for their worth. And that seemed to be contagious for the boys. It came through in these scenes of the family gathering that they were secure, uh, they were comfortable within the family. And no one seemed to be using their skills to secure their worth. They were, in fact, free of fear. Now, on one hand, there's a lesson for our families, for our relationships in uh, the security of love. But more than a lesson, there's a blessing. Because as Jesus would often point to the much greater love of God the Father over the sinful love of human beings, the same is true here. If Archie's love for his boys was good, how much greater is the love of the Father for us? The text, the point was made explicitly clear that we too are free of fear, not because we've got a good sports dad, but because we have a perfect Savior. Friends, uh, in this call to love, know that if you are in Christ, if you have been born of God, you have a new nature, a nature of love.
you're also nurtured in love. So in Christ alone, find your assurance of salvation. And through Christ alone, know that your place in the family of God is secure. So beloved, let us love one another. Because in the family of God, that's what we do. Father, I pray for my own heart. I pray for the hearts of those who would hear this message that we would know you, that we would know your love, that we would be shaped by it so that we might more fully love one another. Do this, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.